Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, last week we talked about worship. Um, and I told you that this subject could easily take more than a one 30 minute uh, sermon to unpack. So I spent 37 minutes last weekend. And so uh, here we are now in the middle of a series on worship. Um, and so this is just what we're uh, moving towards because there's so much to unpack around this. In fact, I, I don't even feel like uh, from last weekend to this weekend, I, I've unpacked everything or will unpack everything. And so just to give you um, an idea of what we talked about last week leading into this week is that last week in, when we talked about worship, we talked about the fact that all human beings worship. And that what they worship varies, but that they worship does not and cannot vary. And then we talked about how worship isn't just singing. Singing is a part of what we do in worship, but worship is not singing alone. And so when the Bible talks about singing, it's important for us to think rightly about this. And what I mean when I said that was, is that God is not lacking in any way. So when God commands his people to sing, it's not because he's lacking, but rather something in us needs to happen. And so this is why we sing and worship. So it's never true that God is at a really tough week, so he needs to hear from us for some kind of re-energizing of his godness for the following week. Okay, so this is not why we sing. It's not something that needs to happen in God, but something that needs to happen in us. And then we looked at how worship is the intentional position and posturing of the believer. We talked about our posture and how it needs to be intentional. And it's not just the physical posture, but more the heart posture that matters. And so that goes beyond the physical conditions of this space as we gather and how we feel in the service. And so when we gather together, God is not just present, but he is active. He's active in the reading of the word of God. And so last week we stood together and as an act of worship before God, we read Psalm 100 together and you did awesome. I was proud of you. And we all read that together as a way to worship God in the reading of his word. And God is active and he is present in the singing of the word in the praying of, of God's people together, in the confessing of our sins corporately, in the crying out to God that occurs when we're together. And, and so God is at work here in this space, shaping and molding and moving us, whether we, whether we feel it or not. And, and so the whole last week, what we talked on is how God is at work in this gathering, in this space. And now this morning, what we're going to talk about is what happens when we come into the presence of God, whether corporately or intimately. And, and so this week, we're looking at what we talked a little bit about last week, what, what, what theologians call the manifest presence or special presence. The, the idea that God is in the room in such a way that is weighty and thick and stirring and transforming. And so what we're going to see and really unpack from our text this morning as we talk about worship is that in the presence of God, we experience his holiness, which reveals our need for reconciliation and his outpouring of grace. And so we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord stirring upon, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So as we read this text, there's, there's a couple things to note that are happening in the text that we just, in, that we just read. And first, that, that I think is really important is the context of, of kind of where um, uh, Isaiah is at. And the first is, is noting about King Uzziah's death. And so right now, the, the times are prosperous for the nation of Israel that was still enjoying the benefits and blessings of God set in motion under the reign of King Solomon under uh, around 200 years ago. And so now Uzziah has died, and with his death, the last word of the chapter of peace and prosperity has just been read. And now, in the next chapter, begins not with peace and not with prosperity, but with the terrifying and certain and coming judgment of the Lord. And so as Isaiah comes into the presence of God, has this vision, he's not entering a happy and prosperous season, but rather he's walking into a difficult one. And so this is where he enters into the presence of God. And so as he enters in, we see the details of the Lord. He's not just coming in and saying, hey, bro, how you doing? He, he's, he's entering into the kingdom of God for a moment here. And, and it says that God is on a throne, that he's high and he's lifted up. And so Isaiah begins to describe God as seated on a throne, that he's elevated high and he's above all others. And then we see that, that it says the train, the, the hem of his robe is filling the temple. And for the, the sake of our time, because I, I want us to get to a, a time of praying together and seeking the presence of God together, but I, I, I want to unpack that so much more than this. But, but what it shows us is that with God on his throne in heaven, the temple only contains the very bottom of God's robe. That, that God is so vast and big, it's only containing a piece of the presence of God. And then we see in the text that the seraphim and their posture towards the Lord. Now, if you go study the seraphim, there's so much more than I'm going to tell you this morning. But these heavenly beings are attending to Yahweh. And they're mentioned here only in verse 2 and verse 6. There's, there's other types of beings that are attending to Yahweh that we see throughout Scripture, especially in Ezekiel. But here in Isaiah, they're, they're a different kind. And so the, the seraphim are a kind of angel. And in fact, seraph means to burn. And so here you have these angels attending to Yahweh that are burning. Do you kind of get, are you beginning to get an idea of what it's like being in the presence of God? And let me just share with you that your, your idea is a grain of sand that belongs on the beach. Okay. So we don't fully grasp this, but I need you to kind of get this that Isaiah describes these seraphim as having six wings. Two covered 
their faces. The, the one that he describes covers their face, signifying the radiant glory of God, whom they behold and who they're unworthy to behold. So they're covering their face from the glory of God. And with two, it's covering his feet. And, and, and some of the ideas behind that is that it's signifying the respect due to the, the ground in which is before Yahweh is holy, that they are not holy enough to walk on. And so they're covering their feet, also signifying a, a readiness to carry out God's will. And then with two, he, he flew. And as they're moving towards the throne of God, we, we see them repeat this to one another, calling out in the presence of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So it's not just the presence of God, but the whole earth. Like God's presence is, is too big to just contain to his own kingdom. He's having it flood to the earth. So that tells us something about how the believer should engage in the presence of God and how we have access to the presence of God. And we see through this repetition, this threefold repetition that God is holy, holy, holy. This shows the magnitude that God's just not a holy God. He is a holy, holy, holy God apart from all other gods. And so even, for example, think about this, that the holy of holies is the holiest part of the temple. So that's just the holy of holies. Isaiah is before God here, and he is holy, holy, holy. And so here you have a man, Isaiah, before the throne of a living and active God, and there are fiery angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So you can see why there's this angst for some people when they walk into the gathering of believers and they just seem complacent. Why they just seem like, oh, I just, I'm just going to clap my hands and I'm just going to sing my song and I'm going to get on my way. I mean, this is not the description. Uh, this is not the same description. For Isaiah, it's, there's, there's movement, there's activity, and he's in awe and he's wrecked by it. And think about this. What is, what is all of this that's happening point back to? It's pointing back to God's holiness. It's pointing back to God himself. And so one of the things we, we actually see from God's holiness in this is how evident our need for reconciliation is. And so the root word, the root meaning of, of holy is to cut or to separate. And so a holy thing is cut from or separated from something else for devotion. So holiness consists of being not part of the common, not part of the profane, not part of the impure, but devoted unto God, separated for God. And so the very godness of God means that he is separate from all things that are not God. And so this is why Isaiah is crying out in response to what he sees. He's not holy. He's not holy as his God is holy. He is imperfect. And he is wrecked by being before a holy and perfect God. And so when we come into the presence of God, one of the things that we learn from Isaiah and, and really is an important heart posture of worship is our need for confession and repentance. I mean, look at Isaiah's response in verse five. He's not going, well, man, this is awesome. Let's have this all the time. His response is, woe is me, I am lost. 
I am a man of unclean lips. I, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. So here's the truth of where I'm at and here's the truth of who God is. So let me ask you this morning, church, what is your response to being in God's presence? What's your response to being in God's presence? Because we see Isaiah's response was to confess that he was not holy and he was unable to be before a holy God. And so his response is just, I am wrecked. I'm not, I'm not worthy of being, I'm not holy to be in your presence. And so this is what he confesses. I think today, and especially in America, we don't, we don't think rightly about confession. You know, we, what we often think is, is the priest and the congregant in the booth, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And, and this is what we've kind of carried over into our Protestant belief. We, 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 we kind of have this Catholic's approach to confession. And, and so we've got to find the holiest priest, confess all the big stuff, so then, then we're good to go. But let me remind you that confession is not a check-in with, with a pastor or a priest to let them know where you're at and you're sinning. Confession is a repentant heart that is transformed before the Lord and shared among other believers and for encouragement and healing. The confessing to God is for the forgiveness of our sins. But confession looks different in the believer's life because we have Jesus. Remember, we talked last week that because we have a new covenant in Christ, we talked a lot about the Mosaic covenant and how now we have a covenant with Christ. We have access to God the Father. And so through the reconciliation of Christ, through the atonement of Christ, we enter in the identity of Christ. So you're not coming in as yourself. You're coming in to the presence of God in the identity of Christ. And that's how we come into the presence of God through our identity in Christ. And as Paul says, our identity in Christ matters. That, that in Ephesians 2, he says, in verse 19, the first part, he says, we are fellow citizens with the saints. That through our identity in Christ, we are members of the household of God. And, and in Ephesians 2, verse 20 through 22, he brings up that we are a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So whether in private or in in private or in the presence of another believer, confession honors Christ and draws us in deeper to the presence of God. It, it moves us closer to the Father. And, and so for some of us, we're going, well, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not close to God at all. I'm, I'm wrestling with this. Well, what's keeping you from the presence of God? W what is it you're holding so tightly to that, that you're not laying down before Jesus that that would draw you into God's presence? And so we individually and, and corporately as the church have the wonderful privilege of peace and reconciliation with God and access to him as father. And, and, so, and so this is the difference for us through our covenant with Christ. That God's desire is that we would seek him, that we would press into him. And then coming out from here, that we would, that we would get up and we would move in him. And so this is where we experience his, his outpouring of grace. Then in the final part of our, our text, we see one of the seraphim coming towards Isaiah with a coal. And touching his mouth, he proclaims, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
So see, atonement, what it does is it restores the relationship between God and the sinner. And so Isaiah's atonement here without sacrifice really illustrates God's freedom to extend mercy by his grace. And so Isaiah's atonement is by God's outpouring of grace to allow him to stand before God. And our reconciliation, our atonement is by the the grace of God through Jesus, that Jesus has become our perfect sacrifice. He has become what allows us to stand before God. And so then the writer of Hebrews in chapter four describes this of how we should come into the presence of God saying, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let me ask you this again. What is your response to being in God's presence? What's your response to being in God's presence? See, I think there are, there are some of us that are in a season where we, we feel it, the presence of God. We see it. We are being moved by it. And yet there are those that, that are faithful and obedient to the Lord and they don't feel it right now. And so it's important for us to remember that there are going to come times where we may not feel the presence of God, but God is present. Are you tracking with me? So, so sometimes you are going to walk in here on a Sunday morning You're going to walk into your time with God. You're going to close your eyes. And in that moment, you're going to feel the presence of God ever before you in a way that is weighty and thick and stirring and transforming. And then there are other times where you're not going to feel it and you're going to have to go after it. And so you need to remember, we need to remember This isn't because God is lacking and it's not because he's forgotten you or he spaced our service time. He's like, oh no, my presence is supposed to be there. No, he wants something to happen in you. This isn't about him. He's not lacking. He doesn't have tough days. It's something in us he's trying to stir. It's something in us he's trying to bring in when we come in thinking, maybe I'll, maybe I'll feel something. Maybe I'll get that high, like when we, when we sang that last song and the reverb was high and the music was, oh, so great. And, or, or maybe God will show up. When we, when we have this attitude, then, then it's all kind of based on our own thinking of conditioning. Like, like maybe if, if, I, if I'm better, then God will show up. No, 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 no. If Christ is in you, then go after the presence of God. If Christ is in you, then it changes you. See, I think it's so easy for us to go through the motions in our times of worship. And what we often tend to do is we we tend to listen but not respond. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally hear you, I totally hear you. But then we don't do the work of going into the presence of God. But what we're going to do now over the next several minutes is, is really 
be the church. If I could just put it into three words, we're going to be the church. Um, that as we come to a close, we're going to, we're going to break into prayer groups together. Um, and I know that's uncomfortable for some of you, you, uh, you who are introverts, I get it, but I'm really going to challenge you because I think your, your complacency is a bigger issue than your insecurity. We're going to do this as an opportunity to worship God by, by coming before his presence, by confessing our sin that's, that is keeping from him, by being honest with our brothers and sisters in Christ, by experiencing his outpouring of grace. And so let me remind you of something important that we covered last week. And I really want you to get this. And so uh, listen here, I want you to look at me. This is really important. Where you place your hope is imperative to your joy. Where you place your hope is imperative to your joy. And what I mean by this, by this and what we talked about last week is that if you've banked your life on your spouse, on your kids, on your job, your bank account, then these things cannot bear up under the weight of your worship. They weren't meant to and they were not designed to hold it. So they'll betray you. They will create in you behavior patterns that go against God's good design for your life. I just need to lay that before you because many of us are worshiping the wrong thing. And so, like I said, there are times where we may come in and we don't feel the presence of God and we need to go after that. But there are other times in which the problem is we're worshiping the wrong thing. And in worshiping the wrong thing, all we're doing is creating or we're crediting value and worth to the wrong thing. And so what we're actually doing is sabotaging our own ability to experience a full life in Christ. And so as we come in, some of the time when we come in, we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping the wrong thing. We're worshiping stuff and saying, God bless it, God keep it, God make it good. And we call that worship. And so this morning, I, I want us to break out of what is Western church comfort. Because let me tell you this morning, I don't give a damn about your comfort. I care deeply about your soul. So I, I want you to understand that. When, when all is said and done, when we come here together and we gather here, it's an opportunity to be in the presence of God. When you wake up in the morning, it's an opportunity to be in the presence of God. And so as we break into these groups of, of prayer together, it's an opportunity for us to confess what we've made the object of our worship for us to chase after and press into the outpouring of God's grace. And so really in this time, it's not about, let's, let's say this rehearsed little prayer. It's no, no, no. Let's confess deeply what's keeping us from the presence of God. Let's confess deeply what is keeping us from walking in a true identity of Christ. And in confessing this, as we'll look at next week from Isaiah, that, that God would move in us and use us in a mighty way, regardless of how we feel. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. 
and we're going to transition into a time. And what I'm just, just going to have us do is, is I'm going to have us break into just sections. That in these little chair sections, I'm going to have you guys break into a group and, and you guys break into a group and you guys break into a group and, and two groups out of there um, and about five groups out of here. And I'm going to let there be chaos in that. Because I, I, think, I think that as we gather together, if we're intentional about this, we'll go after this. And so I could pick, I could pick leaders and I could make this all uh, systematically make sense, but that's, that's what I want. I'm, I want to pursue what God wants. And so I'm going to pray for us that we would go after the presence of God, confess deeply, and pursue greatly. Let's pray.